Praise the Lord, everyone. Wow, I feel good tonight. This is uh, powerful. Thank you, praise team. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. And I certainly feel that tonight the Lord has been glorified in our worship. Praise God. I've got some handouts. I'll circulate. I've got about 40 copies, so if there's not enough, maybe you can look on with your neighbor. And what I've done is I've put down the Bible passages we're going to go through tonight. I'm going to be speaking on biblical worldview on our appetites. Biblical worldview of our appetites. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your mercies towards us and allowing us tonight, Lord, to be here in your house and in your presence after a long day at work and all of the things that's happened and transpired throughout the day. We pray that, God, you would be glorified tonight in all that we say and all that we do. We pray that tonight, Lord, you would prepare our hearts and help us, God, tonight to individually and collectively to examine our own hearts in light of your word tonight. We pray that, God, you would have your way and you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to Romans uh, chapter 16. Romans 16. I'm going to read out of the ESV version first and then for just a little bit more of uh, for another translation out of the Amplified to further drive home our thought for tonight. Romans chapter 16 and starting in verse 17, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles Contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. The Amplified Version of that same passage says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to keep your eyes on those who cause dissensions and create obstacles or introduce temptations for others to commit sin, acting in ways contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. Turn from them, for such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites and base desires. Turn also with me to Philippians chapter 3. also going to be in verse number 17. Brothers, join me in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, their end is destruction. And I'd like for you to read that next phrase with me. Their God 
is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And then again in the Amplified Version, that same text, brothers and sisters, together follow my example and observe those who live by the pattern we gave you. For there are many of whom I have told you, often told you, and now tell you even with tears, who live as enemies of the cross of Christ, rejecting and opposing his way of salvation, whose fate is destruction, whose God is their belly, their worldly appetite, their sensuality, their vanity, and whose glory is in their shame, who focus their mind on earthly and temporal things. I think the scripture is pretty profound and pretty uh, plain concerning our appetites and the need for us to have our hearts and minds focused and set our affections set on things above. I wonder if you can visit with me the world of arachnids and spiders for just a moment. I know, Zach, this will probably be uncomfortable for you. Zach doesn't like spiders. But I saw this analogy the other day, and it made me think of this very topic tonight. And it's about how spiders are wonderful engineers. They're able to spin very craftily and very skillfully a web to trap their victims and to trap their prey. There's what's called a funnel web, which is very wide at the top and then gets narrower as the web is constructed. And the whole idea is to trap its victim or insects or its food, its prey. Meanwhile, the spider will wait at the bottom of the web and the unsuspecting insect or victim or prey is unaware of what is happening. All the while, they're trapped in that web trying to escape but unable to do so. There is a gum-like substance on that silky web that's been spun, almost invisible to the eye, but so subtle and so unable to be avoided, the silk line stick to its victim and keeps it from getting disentangled. The insect, victim, or prey will spin and turn to their eventual demise, unable to free themselves from this crafty web skillfully spun. At last, the very precise moment the spider will, seeing its prey and its victim move unsuccessfully in that web, caught in its trap, will then at the last moment insert its venom and poison to finish off its prey. You see, the design of the web by that smart and very intelligent spider is to design that web in such a way that its victim will never be able to spin its way out of that entanglement. And I think about the the area of appetites, and I'm going to be dealing with several different things, uh, but mainly want to focus in on sexual immorality and how 
the enemy has used immorality and pornography to be that web. It's no coincidence that the Internet's called what? The World Wide Web. It's interesting to note how it is able to capture its victims and capture its prey and entangle individuals and unaware and unbeknownst to them, they find themselves trapped, closed in, unable to disentangle themselves from this very dreadful and very pervasive sexual form of immorality. So I want to talk tonight about biblical worldview of appetites and want to frame out what is the issue? What does the Bible have to say about this? How should we as Christians live in the midst of it? And how should we as Christians expose the darkness and preach the gospel? So, so you, may, you might be asking, so what is the issue here? And we're going to go through quite a few scriptures tonight, some of which that are on your paper I may not get to. But I think it's worth defining what pornography actually is. And we're going to deal with uh, some things. The Bible talks about the works of the flesh, and we're going to list those things out. But mainly as it pertains to our appetites, our world is saturated and sex-crazed and sex-obsessed. And it's all because of unrestrained desire, unrestrained appetites, that we are witnessing the moral collapse of our nation. So you might be asking, what is pornography? Pornography is any material, I repeat, any material, written, visual, auditory, that incites sexual lust or unwholesome desires. So that kind of captures the full swath of even what you might not consider to be pornographic from books to you name it. Apart from Christ, we are depraved, we're vain, we're prideful, we're lustful, we're rebellious, pleasure-seeking, sin-prone in our desires, our thoughts, our imaginations, and especially in our appetites. Jeremiah 17, 9, in the King James Version, the writer sums it up and says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The ESV Version says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? God created us to be image bearers and Christ worshipers, but he also created us with a free will and with an imagination. And as we grow and as we mature and move from childhood and into adolescence and into adulthood, there are certain freedoms and privileges with which we are afforded. And those under the sound of my voice will be able to attest to the fact that we now As young people, you've grown some autonomy, some leverage, some space, some privilege, uh, some freedom, some independence. And this is the area in which the enemy will attack how we spend our time, our money, our affections, our choices. Satan has made sure that there's no shortage of available outlets and means to draw upon our lustful and sinful desires through the means of our own appetites. When I refer to appetites in tonight's lesson, I'm referring to the inner self, the belly, the stomach, the Bible calls it. In the Greek, it's called kolia. And that, which, and, and that meaning gives a little bit more uh, uh, understanding of what that actually means. The appetites is that which goes down into a cavity. What is a cavity? A cavity is a deep cavern, a place where we store, a place where we are able to keep 
things private or hidden. Is an area that represents uh, areas in which it appeals to our flesh. Appetites are things or efforts made to bring some level of satisfaction, pleasure, or reward. Some appetites are wholesome and godly. Other appetites are the exact opposite of all that is good, healthy, wholesome, and godly. I'm going after the elephant in the room tonight when I refer to a biblical worldview of appetites, mainly pornography and the area of sexual immorality and sexual addiction. But it also encompasses other areas, overeating, vaping, smoking, addictions, habits, vices, any other indulgence we participate in that is not glorifying to God. Galatians chapter 5, I'd like for you to turn there. I'm sure you're familiar with this text. And while I'm reading this text, I'd like for you to mouth the words even at your seat because there's something that happens to our soul and that speaks to our, our we preach the gospel to ourselves when we can out loud begin to profess and confess the word of God. Amen? Amen. So Galatians chapter 5, the Bible talks about keeping in step with the Spirit. Verse number 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do, and a big, hearty amen belongs there. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. At the very top of the list, sexual immorality. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and of these things, and the Bible goes on to tell us those individuals that practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So these are all the areas of, the indul- of indulgences that the word of God mentions. All these areas can be idols. All these areas can be problems of sin in areas in which we fail to please and glorify God. And I wonder, you know, tonight as you examine your own heart tonight, do you find yourself dealing with misplaced affections and out-of-control appetites? I thought Pastor Jeff did an awesome job this past Sunday preaching about idolatry and that which, from a secular worldview, uh, you know, we call addiction. The Bible calls idolatry. You know, we have a therapeutic term, we call it, you know, sexual addiction, a person who's, who's addicted to pornography. But the Bible calls it idolatry. And he, he went on to talk about the fact that the sin of idolatry in, in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, that, that men will become lovers of self, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And I think it's very interesting that he said that, you know, the biggest idol that we have in our own lives is our own appetites. It's us. In 2015, Fifty Shades of Grey took pornography mainstream where the minds of mainly female, some male viewers were contaminated with Satan's vomit. That's literally what it was. Where Christian and non-Christian alike were consumed by this garbage, some 125 million strong, reading the books and then going to the theater and to see it on the big screen or on DVD. We are witnessing a society as a society where unrestrained appetites will take us. America's obsession with sex and perversion is invasive and permeates our culture from the youngest to the oldest among us. Some people inadvertently or 
uh, mistakenly think that you know sexual immorality is just a young person's problem. It's just for single young adults and people that aren't married yet. But I will tell you that sexual immorality also affects and goes into the ranks of those that have been married for some some years, pastors, leaders. It doesn't stop there. Sin does not stop. It, ha- it is no respecter of persons. We are witnessing a society where unrestrained appetites have taken the best and the worst. You've seen scores of lives ruined, marriages damaged, relationships destroyed, reputations tarnished over unrestrained appetites. From the Matt Lowers of the world to you name it, every personality you can think of, to politicians, to kings, have all been struck by the area of unrestrained appetites. So tonight I ask you, do you find yourself struggling, dealing with misplaced affections and out-of-control appetites? Here are some numbers and some, uh, some areas in which we can try to gain perspective on why pornography in particular is such a problem. Pornography is a $100 billion, that's right, with a B, $100 billion industry affecting some 70% of Christians today, up to and including church workers, leaders, and more. I've done a lot of research on it, and I'm not big on giving lots of statistics, and I don't want to glorify this area, but porn is a poison drug in pill form with a sweet outer layer that once you consume it, tastes sweet at first, but afterwards you are soon introduced to its bitter and poisonous core. Russell Moore of The Gospel Life and Pornography in his book says this, Pornography or anything or any idol we place before God is how we demonstrate our distrust in God to satisfy us, comfort us, or provide for us. When we sin, we're saying essentially, God, you cannot be trusted to meet my needs right now. I choose instead to trust this, whatever that this or whatever that instant gratification is. We live in a a society that's conditioned to live according to instant gratification. If you're thirsty, go buy Pepsi. If you're hungry, go buy pizza. If you're feeling like you want to, you're entitled to some type of escape, or you want to acquire some type of uh, whatever appetite it is, within a few clicks of the mouse or a few movements on our cell phones, we can be right in the midst of sexual immorality. I can remember the times and not too long ago where you know pornography was something that you could not access from your home. You'd have to go somewhere. You'd have to go to a, a store to purchase a magazine or what have you. But now you know the, the fact that the Internet and social media and Instagram and all of these different outlets have made it so available to us as young people. And this is a battle that all of us face, from the young to the old. It is uh, astounding how this has crept into the church and affected the ranks of many. Those that deal privately and secretively with the issue is dreadful, and it's, it's something that I believe that the power of the cross is able to redeem us from. But sometimes the enemy can keep us spun in that web where we're like that spider, we're like that... That, that insect that's caught in that web, that, that entanglement is so, of such that the more we try to spin out of it, the worse and the deeper it grows. There's a college professor that said words that stuck with me to this day. And she said, if you sow an act, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. That can be either in a positive sense, or if you're not living in accordance with God's word, that can also have a negative effect. 
But think about that. You sow an act. Everything we do, every, every appetite we indulge in, we're sowing an act. And that act reaps a habit. You sow a habit, it reaps a character, whether godly or ungodly. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. What does porn, and there's so much information out there, what is pornography? What are the effects? What's the big deal? We, we have a society that kind of marginalizes and tries to trivialize the effect of pornography and sexual immorality. And, well, everybody's doing it. It's, it's the norm. It's what people do. It's what young people do. It's what boys do. It's what young ladies do. I'm going to give you 10 things, 10 effects, and the list goes on and on, but I've just picked out 10 areas of how pornography and how this area of our appetites can damage our soul. Number one, it corrupts and turns our hearts away from God. Ultimately, this is a sin that will keep us out of the kingdom of heaven. We just read in Galatians chapter 5, the very top of the list, one of the things that the word tells us to avoid is sexual immorality. The word sexual immorality, if you translate that into the Greek, is porneia or porn, the word that we get our word pornography from. So the very first thing on the list that the Bible tells us to ignore or that we need to abstain from is pornography. And this is something that's been around for centuries, since the beginning of time. It is uh, just the other day, Dave and I were talking and we, we, uh, he came across an article concerning Jonathan Edwards, one of the uh, great awakening leaders back in the 1700s when he addressed pornography in his day with 10 young men that were in his church, and he had found that there was a practice that they were doing. They were sneaking out of bed in the middle of the night, and they were meeting in the forest or the woods or what have you, and they would, what they had was a, what they call a midwife's book. It was called the bad book. And this midwife's book were, were pictures, drawings of women giving birth. And these men, these young men would sneak out of the house during the night and go into the forest, and they would compare these books and talk about these, image, these images and, and make crude remarks. And, and uh, as a result, it, it, it affected the church and, and these young men, their view of women and how they talked about women and the crude talk and the coarse conversations that they had as a result of what they called the bad book, just drawings, just artist renditions of women giving birth. And to think about that, that was 250-plus years ago. And as a result of him preaching from the pulpit of that church in Enfield, Connecticut, and he was the one that preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. And, and uh, uh, the, the story goes on to say that he was later evicted from that church. They voted him out. They, didn't, they, didn't, they couldn't tolerate that kind of preaching. And you think 250 years later, how much more worse and profound and pervasive pornography has come, and yet we sit in church silent. No one wants to talk about the elephant in the room. I know back when I was coming up, you would never hear a message about pornography or sexual, or very, very few times you'd hear about really talking about the elephant in the room, sexual immorality and all those things concerning that. It was sort of an uncomfortable topic. But I believe that we're living in a day and a time in a society where we've got to talk about it. We've got to shake from the, we've got to cry loud and spare not. We've got to be able to, to tell young people and warn them and be able to, to guide them in the ways of God. Number two, it alters and skews a biblical view of sex. Our world has taken and Satan has taken sex and forwarded it and jaded it and made it into something evil and corrupt and impure. And that is not what God designed it to be. He designed it to be something to be enjoyed within the confines of a holy union between one man and one woman. And our, our world and, and society at large has taken the view of sex and commercialized it 
and degraded it and corrupted it and made it into something evil and foul and vulgar. But I'm here tonight to tell you that God's way is the best way. Amen. Amen. Three, it sears images into our mind that cannot be erased or unseen. There's research and literature out there as to how it creates pathways in the brain and memories that cannot be taken away once you uh, expose yourself to those images. Four, it alters the chemistry of the brain similar to what happens when a person is on cocaine. So the same type of reaction when a person is addicted and the the pleasure and the reward centers of the brain uh, that take into account what happens as a person is on crack cocaine. I believe that pornography is the crack cocaine of our society today. It affects, number five, our future relationships, our spouses-to-be, because it creates a false or duplicitous self. So a person with a pornography addiction oftentimes will have two personalities. They're who they are on a Sunday morning. They'll smile. They'll, everything looks very good and cosmetically and, and artificially. Everything looks great on the outside. But there is that moment. There's that cavity. There's that inner self. There's that appetite that they feed uh, that, they, uh, that they, they have to contend with, that second self, that duplicitous self that other side of them that no one sees, that they have to keep private and keep hidden. And the, the fact of the matter is that these are individuals who are practicing to be spouses one day. So those of you that aren't married, those of you who are preparing to be married, if I can just give you some encouragement this afternoon or this evening to let you know you are practicing for your future. You might be saying, well, you don't have that problem because you're married. You don't have to deal with that. I want to tell you that that is the furthest thing from the truth. I want to tell you that we're all in this struggle together. Apart from God, we're all corrupt and evil and full of pride and full of rebellion and full of lustful desires. It's in us because of our Adamic nature and the fact that we're, we're, we're part of the fall. And apart from Christ, apart from his grace, we all need God's help in this area. But especially those who aren't married, you are practicing. You're training your heart towards godliness. You're training your heart to be faithful to your wife, to be faithful to your spouse, to be pure, to be upright, to do that which is, which is uh, honest and that which is pure, as the Bible says. And so we've got to understand that we're in a, a, a moment where God is trying us. And, and we've, you know, for, for, for lack of a better word, sometimes we get weary with the fight, the struggle, battle, the, the struggle of, of sexual purity. But as any married person will tell you, it's worth the fight yeah. to keep yourself pure and to overcome the world and to to fall upon the word of God and to take delight in as Dave has preached so eloquently about setting our affections on things above. It's an affection problem. It's a, it's a delight problem and what you're delighting in. That's a beautiful thought and a beautiful message uh, to young people today and anyone that's seeking to, to live sexually pure. Number six, it keeps us enslaved, empty, hollow, and detached from those around us. Number seven, it predisposes us toward making poor lifestyle choices. Number eight, it is the precursor to violent and other aggressive behaviors. Don't have time to go there, but the research that I've done, many of the world's most heinous criminals started a life of, of, of frequenting pornography. And it's a precursor to violent and aggressive behaviors. Number nine, pornography is equivalent. When you're accessing pornography through your phone or through the internet, on your laptop, on your tablet or what have you, it is equivalent to you soliciting prostitutes. It is equivalent to you funding either indirectly or directly underground and illegal activities such as sex trafficking and child pornography. Every time you access pornography, you're supporting prostitutes. You're supporting sex trafficking and child pornography. 
Number 10, it desensitizes us to what is pure and it jades our view of what marital intimacy is all about. It numbs us to the effects of our sin and, it is, and its harmful consequences. This addictive cycle that happens with an individual caught in the web of pornography starts with this feeling of entitlement, feeling like I'm weary, I'm tired, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed, I need an escape. I need, and any form of addiction, not just pornography addiction, but even individuals who struggle with nicotine addiction or any other kind of addiction, it is a feeling of entitlement, feeling like I deserve this. I need this break. I need this little, this moment of being able to just, you know, escape from the normalcy of my day and the routine of the mundane. It is that cycle of feeling that need to have a moment to indulge. I want to take you to Genesis chapter 3, the book of beginnings, to understand What does the Bible have to say about this? Genesis chapter 3, book of beginnings. And this, this passage I read so many different times, but in the context of appetites, the first sin in the Bible was committed around appetites, around food. The Bible says the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So, and I don't have to go there about the talking serpent and the fact that the talking serpent was slandering God and you know, doubting the word of God and all of those things, which is the very first step down that slippery slope is when we begin to rationalize our sin and rationalize, well, why we need this particular appetite. And the Bible goes on to tell us of this discourse, this conversation that she's having with this talking serpent. And then verse number six is profound. This is what happens. The Bible says, so... That's a big word there. So, so after all this conversation, number one, in the second chapter of Genesis, the Bible says that there were many other trees besides this that God had made that was pleasant to the eyes and good for food. So why Eve would be drawn to the one tree that God said that I don't want you to be around? It's poison. You eat it, you eat of it, you're going to die. How many of us flirt and fantasize and romanticize with evil and with appetites that we know are not wholesome? We'll get as close as we possibly can without going over the edge and position ourselves. Maybe there are people in our circle of influence we don't need to be around. Maybe there are young men that are you know blowing up your phone on on texting or whatever and, and enticing you to 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 live, not live according to God's word. Maybe there are young men here that you know that there are things in your phone tonight that if it were to be exposed, you wouldn't be too proud about. But here we see the same exact progression. The Bible says in verse number six, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes 
and the tree was to be desired. So there are some operative words. When the woman saw what we see, our appetites, our indulgence, things that call out and draw out impure and, in, and, and lustful desires, those things that we see. So we see in verse number 6, it was good for food. That deals with the appetites. It was delight to the eyes. And then we have the word desire. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Verse number 7, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So it's kind of, Interesting how we see this juxtapositioning of their recognition of their own nakedness. Before it was not a problem. But all at the moment that they partook of the fruit, the first thing that they noticed was their own nakedness. I have to wonder if that is where pornography started. I can't prove it. That's just Rudy's commentary. But you have this juxtaposition of the shame around them knowing instantly there was shame, there was embarrassment, there was this this notification that something's not right here. This should not be happening. This should not be taking place. And the Bible says that they immediately went into hiding the seclusion, the, the secrecy, the trying to hide and cover their tracks. The Bible says it was like almost immediately they went into this, this mode of trying to cover themselves which is the same the same end result a person who's struggling with their personal appetites or with in this case sexual addiction or pornography the hiding the covering the lack of being able to be transparent the deception all of these things take place and which are very reminiscent of the of the fall the scripture goes on to say that they heard the voice of the Lord in the cool of the day. And the Bible tells us in verse number 9, the Lord God called out to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And then we start the blame game. The man said, The woman whom you gave me. You see, It is interesting how human nature is always good at pointing the finger to something or someone else rather than taking responsibility for our own actions. James chapter 1, 13 says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire or his own appetites. And it says, then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Notice this, Satan used the woman to get to the man. What is going on in pornography? Satan is using the woman to get to the heart of the man. He can get to the heart of the man, he can get to the heart of the family, he can get to the husband, he can get to, to, the, to, the, to the breadwinner, he can get to the person who is supposed to be a, a, an example of godliness in the home. He can destroy and derail all of the dynamics of the home by using the woman to get to the man. The fall brought about an awareness of their own nakedness and their need to cover, hide their shame, guilt, loss of transparency, and their loss of purity. 
But we see a beautiful picture of the redemptive grace of God. Because the fall brought on not only that, but we see that God's grace caused there to be a shedding of blood and God taking animal skins to cover their shame and to cover their nakedness. What's powerful and goes on in verse number 22. So notice this. They took up the fruit. Their eyes were opened. We see that they were out of communion with God. And verse number 22. Notice the words it says here. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. So God had to deal with sin. God did not let them be comfortable in their sin. God had to drive them out of the garden because he's a just God. If they were to partake of the tree of life in their sin-ridden state, it would mean that they would be forever locked in that state of being. They would be eternally, if they ate from the tree of life, they would be eternally locked in that place of sorrow apart from God. And God's grace would not allow that to be, that they would be living in their sin forever. And so God had to put a stop to it and banish and drive them out of the garden as a means of of judging sin. You see, God's never going to be happy and content with us living a life of sin apart from him and apart from knowing him. He's never going to be content with us living a life of disobedience and rebellion. But God will judge sin. And it was God's grace. It was God's grace that he did not allow Adam and Eve to partake of the tree of life because if they grabbed hold of that tree, They would have lived in their sinful state forever. They would have become immortal and lived forever. But the Bible tells us and goes on to tell us that sin does not stop with just one act of disobedience. Less than 10 verses later, we see that sin grows and spreads like a disease. What you think is just one click of the mouse, what you think is just one act of disobedience, now turns into a monster and a disease and a virus. Less than 10 verses later, we read of the first murder in the Bible committed by Adam's eldest son, Cain. And the eternal word spoken concerning Cain is an admonition for us today. In that fourth chapter of Genesis, it says in verse 7, If you do well, Cain was complaining about his brother Abel being having an offering that was more acceptable to God. And the Bible says, if you do well, will you not be accepted and if you do not well sin is crouching at the door its desire is contrary to you but you must rule over it I want to encourage you tonight to let you know that sin is crouching at each and every one of our door it is on our doorstep I don't care if you've been serving God for 40 years you've been serving God for 40 days everyone in this room has sin crouching at your door The appetites and the desires of our own sinful nature are still there. But by the power and the grace of God, we are able to rule over it through God's power and by his grace. We're able to overcome those sinful desires and those lustful desires by God's grace. Amen? So thank God for his grace. He's allowed allowed us to be able to, to walk in freedom and liberty over sin. Hebrews 4 and chapter 12. I want to take you to another passage. I know this is somewhat foundational, but we have to understand tonight that God's word is the anecdote. It is the, it is the antidote, I should say. It is the, the cure, the panacea for our sin and for our proclivities. 
apart from him. Hebrews chapter 4. I love this passage. As I read it and I, I uh, saw something different in this passage concerning what God's word needs to do in us. It says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. I'll start verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So this is going to be, this is not an easy path to think we can casually serve and live for God and everything's going to be okay and we can just have a mamby-pamby kind of existence. This is an urgent fight. This is a battle that we must wage with everything inside of us. We can't afford to sit idly by and allow sin to grow and progress in our lives if and even if, it is, if, if sexual immorality is not your thing, if pornography is not your thing, there's some area of our appetites that need to be governed by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's still some area, some work of the flesh that the Lord still needs to work out in us and continue by his grace to, to sanctify us and bring us to where we need to be, that place of sanctification. Hebrews 4 and 12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart and that no creature is hidden from his, from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So while we think that our sin is secret and no one sees or hears or knows what we're doing, we have an all-seeing God, we have an all-knowing God and the Bible here tells us through his word, his word's alive and it's active and it's sharper. This is something I want you to understand that I never recognized before is that the word of God is like a hypodermic needle. The Bible talks about it piercing through to the deepest part of the man's being, the soul and spirit. That's the deepest part of a person's being. The joints and marrow is the deepest part of the individual. That hypodermic, hypodermic needle is the actual the compilation of two Greek words, hypo and dermis. Hypo means under, and dermis means skin. So under the skin. The word of God is able to get under the surface. It's able to get under the surface and pierce through to the event of being able to get down to even where the bloodstream is. If you want to tell what's going on with an individual, draw their blood. That blood sample will tell everything that's going on in that person's life. It'll tell you what they love too much, and it'll tell you what they don't love enough. It'll tell you that they have too much, perhaps they love too much fried chicken and greasy foods and cholesterol-bearing foods. It's going to tell you what they love too much. It's going to tell you if they're anemic, what they don't love enough. We need the Word of God to penetrate our hearts to the extent that it gets down to the very core of our appetites. It gets down to our bloodstream, gets down to the bone and marrow. The place where blood is produced is in the marrow. Those stem cells is produced in marrow. God needs to get clear down into the very deepest parts of us and pierce through. And the Word of God should be drawing something out of us. The word of God should be examining us and laying us bare before him so that we can see where we, where we need to grow, where we need to thrive and strive to, to be more like him. Oh, that that word would get to the deep and most inner parts of our being, our appetites, and reveal our thoughts and intentions. Oh, that God's word would be a, a mighty burning fire in our soul, like Jeremiah said, like fire shut up in my bones. 
that we won't be comfortable or, or able to remain in our sin, remain apart from, from his grace and, and the process of sanctification, but that we would be yielded to him. So here's the issue. I want to tell you tonight, you don't have a porn problem. You have a worship problem. You have an idolatry problem. If porn is not your parenthetical idol or appetite, you've got a sin problem, and your sin problem is attributed not to some therapy model, not some addictive cycle where there are dozens of them out there, but you've got a worship problem. We were made, we were created to worship God. We were created to experience the fullness of God and the joy of the Holy Spirit. And any other desire or any other experience is just a mere substitution for worship. We have an idolatry problem. Exodus 20 and verse 3 Our pastor preached on this past Sunday, did an excellent job concerning the second commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. What are some examples of gods that we place before him? Well, self, what I want, my pleasure, my habits, my addictions, my job, my career, my family, my wants, my desires. Turn with me to Exodus 32. I'm hurrying along. Exodus 32. Exodus 32, and the Bible talks about the golden calf, which tonight I believe we've got some golden calves that we've erected in monuments we've established in our lives. People said, the Bible says, when they saw Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together. Aaron said, up make us gods who will go before us. As was Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So Aaron said, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. Sin will always cost you something. I'm going to tell you your addiction will always cause you something. I'm going to tell you that your whatever area of indulgence or appetite that you, you've not yielded to the Holy Spirit, it's going to cost you something. The Bible says they took of those goods, they took of those uh, pieces of jewelry and they fashioned a golden calf. Now, this is just Rudy. This is, this is the first book of Rudy speaking here, all right? So I, I would say that the, the calf would represent their appetites, the food, the things that the Bible talks about, that they, they rose up to eat, and, and they sat down to eat, and they rose up to play. And the Bible talks about that when Moses was in the mountain receiving the commandments, he was basically, if you look and study, he was probably no more than a, a day or two off from being able to bring them the commandments, the tablets of stone from the Mount, Mount Sinai. They lost hope with just, we're talking a little over 24 hours, and their lives would have been changed. But they began to become impatient. They began to become frustrated and overwhelmed. They said, we've got to make a God to satisfy this craving that we have right now because we want to see something. We want to see, you know, what's, what's going to happen. We, we don't know what's become of Moses. So we're going to make our own God. We're going to craft and, and make our own little uh, uh, design of what we think God should be. And they had the nerve to, to offer sacrifices even and to worship and, and to say, well, you know what? At least we're still going to church. I can still live in my sin, still do what I want to do, still indulge in my appetites and still come to church, still give my offerings and feel like I'm okay. Now, what kind of twisted and corrupt ideology is that? That's a worship problem. That's an idolatry problem. And that's exactly what they did. And the, the, and the Bible goes on to say that they, 
said to this God, you are the one that brought us out of Egypt. <laughs> the golden calf, after all that God had done for them, it was, an, it was their, the imagination of their own heart that brought them through and caused them to come over on the dry land. Hmm. How should we as Christians live as a result of this issue? I'm going to give you three things, three areas. And this is such a voluminous topic. It's impossible within a short period of time to deal with this. But three things I want to hurry on and give you. First of all, it's going to require radical amputation. If you're dealing with an indulgence issue, whether it be pornography or smoking or vaping or whatever your area of indulgence is, it's not submitted to the power and authority of the gospel and the power of the word, I want you to know that it requires radical amputation. Matthew chapter 5, 29 says, If your right hand offend thee, what? Pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not thy whole body should be cast into hell. If thy right hand offend thee, do what? Cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not thy whole body should be cast into hell. I'm saying that we've got to be able to get to the place where we're willing to go with radical amputation. If our cell phone is what's going to keep us from making it to heaven, I want to have a a broken cell phone. Do whatever you have to to destroy that cell phone. I know a guy that that threw a tablet, threw uh, an iPad and a five-gallon bucket of water because he couldn't deal with the temptation that that drew for him to have that freedom and liberty to to peruse the Internet. So he he threw his iPad in a five-gallon bucket of water. Now, if your mom or dad purchased that for you, give it to me because I'll take it off your hands before you do that. But I'm talking about radical repentance. What are you willing to do? What lengths are you willing to take to get right and get real with God? Peter denied the Lord. The Bible says in Luke 22 and 62, the Bible says in in that last verse that he went and he wept bitterly. Do you know what it is to weep bitterly? It's not some type of, oh God, I'm sorry that I failed you again. But I believe that Peter wept bitterly. When he recognized, Jesus, 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 <laughs> oh God, weeping before the Lord. I'm telling you that we've got to get to the place where we cry out to God for help and deliverance. Never is it going to happen if we're just passive about our sin. But we've got to weep bitterly before the Lord. The Bible says that godly sorrow produces repentance. Joel chapter 2 and verse 12 through 17 tells us, Yet now, even now, declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious. He is merciful. God's not trying to come and condemn you and God's not trying to beat you down, but he wants you to come to him in repentance and weep and cry and howl before him and whatever it takes for you to have radical repentance, we need to be willing to do that to consecrate our hearts before God. I'm afraid we're in a generation that wants it the easy way out. We don't want to cry before God. We don't want to weep. When's the last time you wept before the Lord? When's the last time you were bitter over your sin? When's the last time you were, you were just totally broken that you displeased the Lord? Not that you got caught, but that you displeased the Lord and you let God down. Help us, God, to return to you with weeping bitterly. The second area that's gonna, uh, that we need to respond to is radical transformation. The Bible says in the beautiful passage, beautiful passage, 
In 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. My gosh, is that not a beautiful spirit, a beautiful passage of Scripture. The Bible says that it is the Lord who gives us that ability to move from one degree of glory to another. So if you're able to say no to that rated R movie, that's one degree of glory to another. If you're able to turn away from that, whatever images are playing on late night TV, that's one degree of glory from, from another. God's sanctifying you. He's bringing you to, into the, further into his, his image. And, and you're able to see that there's more delight in knowing God and there's more delight in his word. If you're able to read one chapter or two chapters instead of one, you're going from one degree of glory to another. I'm not saying that we're, we're saved by our works, but what I'm saying is we've got to get to the place where there's radical transformation. That God and his glory and the power of the Lord and the time in his word, the time in his presence causes sin and all of our other affections to pale in comparison, to be putrid in the presence of Jesus Christ. Oh, that, that his word would delight our hearts. Oh, that we would get to the place where there's no match between our love for God and our love for the things of this world. Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, 2 Corinthians 7.1 says. Colossians 3.2, set your affections on things that are above and not on things on the earth. Romans 12.1 and 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing what? Of your mind. God, do we need we need the Lord to help us to renew our minds. The images, the things we've seen, the experiences we've had. God, help us to renew our minds in your word. Amen. Psalm 119, 9 through 10, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can you do it? In 2018, how can you live for God in a sex-saturated society? How can you do it? By living according to your word. By seeking God with all of, his, all of your heart and not allowing your heart to stray from God's commands. Some practical level stuff. It's going to require some radical accountability. We've got to start talking to people that are godly, that we can trust that we can go to and we say, you know what, I'm going out of town on a business trip and I need prayer coverage. I need you to, to, to ask me the following questions. Have you lived for God? Have you read your Bible? Have you prayed today? Ask, you know, you need to have that radical accountability partner. I have a radical accountability partner that I'm able to be honest and open with. Why? Because I don't trust myself. Why? Because my appetites apart from God are vile and they're impure and I struggle with the same things you struggle with, but I've learned to put my hope, my faith, my hope in Jesus Christ. Filters. You need to have filters on your phones, on, on your, on your uh, internet devices if that's the case. Don't watch late night TV. If you've got cable television or whatever and you, you find yourself uh, uh, you know, indulging in certain things, well, maybe you don't need to watch late night television anymore. Maybe you need to turn it off. Are you hungry? Are you tired? Are you alone? Those are the moments in which the enemy is able to get through to us and break down and, and exploit our vulnerabilities in the areas of sexual immorality because it's easy, it's convenient when we're hungry, we're tired, we're alone. Preach the gospel to yourself. How should we as Christians expose the darkness and preach the gospel? John chapter 8 and verse 12 says, again, Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light of the world. Fungus cannot grow in the dark. So if we expose the, the, using the light of God's word on that fungus in our lives, if we keep it dark, we keep it hidden, that fungus is going to grow. And I'm sure that there is a fungus among us in the church called pornography. And we need to have the light of God's word. And the Bible says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We need God's word to shine in our hearts. 
1 John 1, 7 through 9 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, I don't know, is anybody in this room that says that you have no sin? All of us have sin. The Bible says we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, aren't you glad that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness? So tonight, if you're struggling with addiction, you're struggling with any indulgences that are not submitted to the power of Jesus Christ, tonight you can confess. You don't have to go to a priest or a confession box, but tonight in your seat you can begin to talk to God and ask him for forgiveness. You can begin to allow his light to shine into your heart, the light of his glorious grace, to expose those deeds of darkness, the things that are dark and decrepit, those cavities in us, those places where we store memories and things that are ungodly and wholesome. We can begin to bring them to the light of the cross. Allow the power of God to cleanse us, the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Last but not least, pray for yourself. We can pray for others as well as we recognize that we are sinners saved by God's grace. We can preach the gospel to ourselves and remind ourselves of the power of the cross. The only hope that we have is the power of the cross that saves from sin, that's able to cure us from the incurable disease that Jeremiah talks about, that who can know it, that we are desperately sick. Apart from God, our hearts are sick and wicked and vile. But in Jesus Christ, amen, the Bible says, John 10, 10, I am come that they might have life and have life to the full. God wants you full of joy. He wants you to have freedom. He doesn't want you to be entangled with all the, the things that burden our minds, oftentimes with the struggles and the strains of this life. But tonight, through the power of Jesus Christ, we can have a newfound freedom through the power of the cross. Tonight, if we'll take hope in that. I want you to just bow your heads with me and pray as we close out tonight. I pray that there's been some passage, some measure of God's word that's spoken something into your life tonight. We're going to have small groups uh, in a moment, but right now I just want you to just close your eyes and think about where you are tonight in terms of your walk with God, the area of your appetites or their misplaced affections or the things or the areas in which you're not delighting, as Dave so wonderfully preached about delighting in God's word and it's an affection problem. Tonight maybe God's wanting to speak to your heart and draw you closer to him, but there first has to be a willing mind. There first has to be an admission, a confession, an agreeing with God that I need to submit my desires and my appetites to God's word and his grace. Tonight, I just want to pray over you that God would continue to work and that even tonight there will be a residual effect of the word of God. Tonight, as you leave out of here and you go home and you face the challenges of your day and, and of your week, that you, will cons- that you will stop and ponder the things of God tonight, what was said. Father, we thank you tonight for your word, your holy word that speaks into our lives there are areas of us that are broken, that are ruined by sin, that are destroyed. There are relationships that are tarnished and that are destroyed because of sin and because of appetites and indulgences that have overstepped their bounds. And tonight, Lord, I pray that there would be a healing balm, that there would be, Lord, a flow of your spirit and ointment, as it were, that would be applied to our soul, our sin-sick soul. Tonight, we pray the grace, the power of the Lord would be revealed in every heart, that, Lord, as we even uh, prepare ourselves to go into small group and even leave out of these doors, let there be a residual effect of your word tonight that will speak to us. Kind of like a drive-through tonight. We kind of got a, a parade of scriptures, but let us take home these scriptures and open the bag and unpack what the word is really saying to us and begin to eat from it. It's impossible to sit in the drive-through and, and consume our meal. We have to take it home and in the privacy of our own home at our kitchen table 
And wherever we eat, we, we unpack what's in those, the contents of the bag and we, we consume it. And so let it be tonight that we would take the package of your word tonight. We would take it home, find a quiet place and we begin to pray and begin to seek your word, seek your face. Help us to cry and to weep and to, to, to Lord, be broken over our sin to the extent that our emotions are, 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 are moved, that not even just our emotions, but that God, our, our hearts will be broken over what breaks yours. God, don't let us be comfortable in our sin. Don't let us be comfortable, God, and smug, Lord, in the areas in which we know we need to surrender to you. But tonight, we want to confess and agree with you, God, that what your word says about us is right. What your word says about it is, is true. That God, apart from you, we, we can do nothing. Tonight, Lord, we, we also throw ourselves down at the foot of the cross. We, we accept tonight, Lord, that you're able to give us grace and power and strength to help in our time of need, that you're a high priest that cannot be that is touched by the feelings of our infirmity. We know that God, you're able that you're able to produce healing and strength. Pray that you would give a comeback for every setback the enemy has brought about in the lives of those that are here tonight. We just thank you, Lord, tonight. We pause and we just want to linger in your presence, even if it's just for a few moments. Speak to us, God, tonight. We pray. Now, I'd like for you to just, in your own way, just begin to talk to the Lord in your own words maybe in your seat or as you're pondering that tonight you would just pray over yourself and ask God to continue to reveal areas of your heart where you need to surrender to him more fully and that the work of sanctification can continue and move you to a place of where you need to be tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.